Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, The Thing from Another World. In the year 2020, the government confirmed the existence of flying saucers, and nobody gave a shit. No. But in the year 1951, the Air Force denied the existence of flying saucers, and everybody gave a shit. Yeah, I mean, that's reverse psychology, right? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, and are you more excited about UFOs that the government doesn't want you to know about? Or UFOs that the government's like, yeah, sure, go look into it, it's fine. I like the idea of UFOs that just, like, it's impossible to deny at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the idea of, like, UFOs you know, there's a fucking just one hovering over the city and they're like, no, it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> You're all hallucinating that, so. So it's a weather balloon? Yeah, this is a, today... Well, I guess I should say this is Matt. This is Luke. That is Luke. This is the sci-fi sanctuary of sci-fi. I said sci-fi twice. From another world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a very iconic sci-fi film that I feel like not many people watched. I hadn't. I don't think you had. I hadn't, no. Um, and that's telling because I kept waiting for it to do things it didn't do. <laughs> <laughs> that being The Thing from Another World, 1951. Yeah. Uh, maybe di directed by Howard Hawks. I can't remember the name of the guy that's actually credited. But, uh, uh, Nibby? Nye? Yeah, there's conflicting reports on who directed The Thing, basically. Both of them, when interviewed about it, are just like, no, Nibby definitely directed it, fuck off. <laughs> so I think that might just be bullshit. <laughs> it's just that Howard Hawks was his mentor, and it looks like one of Howard Hawks' films, because and, of course it does. And it has a lot of Howard Hawks' trademarks. I, yeah. I guess it's like, you know, when like you know, Zemeckis was making films in the 80s, and it's like, oh, it's like a Spielberg film, right? Yeah, but Spielberg didn't actually direct it. He's just, Zemeckis learned everything he knew from Spielberg. Right, right, and right. And Spielberg did probably produce most of those films as well. So. And what we forget now is when Indiana Jones came out, people were like, oh, it's just Lucas in disguise. Right, now we're yeah. like, nah, it's all Spielberg, screw Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> Which, let's give Lucas his credit. You know, when he when he makes things that are good, they can be good, right? Yeah, he was great at making stuff in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> just, he lost it a bit. <laughs> And then he, and let's give him, he eventually um, respectfully retired. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got to give the dude credit for that. At least he wasn't Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, again, this is our first viewing. Um, expectations, we can do it like like we went to the theater, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Um, like, I, I've got time for, like, a scary alien horror movie set at the North, South Pole. South Pole? No, this one's North Pole. This the other one's North Pole. Pole. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, seems cool. Uh, I was expecting a slightly more interesting monster design. <laughs> we'll talk a little more, more, uh, but little no, more about But no, here's the weird thing. I, because when I was trying to find a link to watch this, I ended up watching it on archive.com. But um, I ended up on the Wikipedia page. And one of the things was like, ooh, does this film represent McCarthyism? And so I was, like, I was expecting way more of the 1980s thing. 
Like the paranoia and stuff. The paranoia stuff, the shape-shifting stuff. Me I was expecting a completely different film. This is basically just Frankenstein's monster at the North Pole. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, I'm like looking and I, I was, I, you saw my notes maybe, I was thinking about McCarthyism and it's like, oh, Dimitri wrote the score. Mm. <laughs> like that's surprising in 1951 when everyone's getting blacklisted. To, I mean, I'm yeah. not saying, I'm, he, he may he may not have, be, is or has ever been a member of the Communist Party, but having a Russian name at that point seems like a point against you. Oh, you don't know anything about Dimitri, you're just going off the name. I'm just going off the name. <laughs> I thought, I, th I thought you had some insight that this was some no, like, no, I'm just saying a musical composer who'd been ousted by Stalin or something interesting. No, I'm just saying... You just saw the name Dimitri. In 1951, that's the height of McCarthyism. He could have been Polish or anything. I know, I'm just like, <laughs> just going by sight there, so... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I guess I've I seen... I saw that note and assumed you had some interesting insight you were going to share. No, that was me. my random uh, insight of, of the moment while watching this late at night. <laughs> um... The thing that, the thing, uh, we can't do, I said we can't do it as much with this one because you have to say, from another world, after that. You kind of do, but the film's title is The Thing from Another World. The same <laughs> title we should add. John Carpenter yeah, yeah, did, yeah. like, totally recreate that in an it awesome way. fucking incredible effect, right? You it can't is. do it better. Why, why bother trying? Yeah, do it again. <laughs> who, who gets to light the garbage bag? That's the winner in that situation. Yeah. Um, so, the thing that got me anyway uh, was... That I was expecting, like, 50 schlocky horror. Mm. This seems, this is very much still like a 40s style movie. Okay. There were even segments that, to me, felt like film noir. Mm. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Like, it felt like more retro than retro sci-fi because of that. Because the 40s... Oh, because also it is barely sci-fi. Yeah, I, can, I can't think of any sci-fi in the 1940s. 30s had Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon, things yeah. to come. It had... Some sci-fi. The 40s? What, what did the 40s have for sci-fi? I mean, and I'm um, sure there's some things. The World but... War happened, so not much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was that whole war problem, I guess. And... Uh, all the films were just about World War II. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'm, sure if, I'm sure if we look closer... Oh, yeah, there definitely is a sci-fi. There is one, but I can't think of an iconic 40s sci-fi. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, they made the Batman serials. Right. Captain Marvel. I don't know if that counts. Uh, superheroes are sci-fi now. I guess now. Superman. In the Superman serials, yeah. But it was all serials, right? Planet, so. But but those were even outclassed by Buck Rogers and Flash yeah, Gordon yeah, yeah, a few yeah. years earlier, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, story time? Do I tell you a story? Yeah, run me through the plot. Journalist Ned Scott is looking for a hot lead in Anchorage, Alaska, and finds one when he meets up with Air Force Captain Pat Hendry. Hendry, on, uh, bleh, bleh. Hendry is on his way to respond to a North Pole communique from Dr. Arthur Carrington as an unusual craft has landed near Polar Expedition 6, which the dock commands. The airmen and several scientists head to the crash site and find a large metallic saucer which they then accidentally blow up. The occupant of the craft is ejected, encased in a block of ice. The group takes the alien ice block back to the polar base. Carrington wants to melt the creature out, but Hendry is not so sure about that. While waiting for further orders, guards take two-hour shifts watching the creepy alien. 
One of them tosses a blanket on the ice because the alien is flipping him out. Unfortunately, he made the terrible judgment of using a plugged-in electric blanket, which provides enough melt for the thing inside to escape. The thing is quickly attacked by sled dogs. It escapes, but leaves a severed arm behind. The scientists realize that the creature is actually an advanced form of plant life. Since you can cook plants, the team tries to set the thing on fire, injuring it a bit but burning up most of the station's living quarters in the process. With coldness quickly descending upon them, they ford up in the generator room. Orders have come in to keep the creature alive, but that seems like a bad call at this point. They set an electrical trap to really broil the thing, and it works even after Dr. Carrington tries to talk the thing into reason and then gets whapped down. Guess we're all going to have to keep watching the skies. You can tell what part Matt stopped reading from his script because he completely looked up from his sheet and changed his voice entirely. I needed to like start watching the skies and look serious about it and sound mm. serious about mm. it, right? Yeah. It, it was it was the um it was the uplifting ending to my synopsis, I guess. It's, it's meant to be like the ooh stay scared ending, right? Mm-hmm. As like a quote unquote horror film. Like the monster in this is useless and doesn't kill many people. Right. <laughs> not like not like that later thing. Do we talk... Yeah. Do, um, okay, I do have some dish on the actor. Yeah, we should talk about actors, because... I, I, I mean, think... the thing actor. The okay, actor of okay. the thing. Let's start with him, then. Okay, because we Usually don't see... Usually we save the monster to last, but yeah, let's do it. But he's the biggest star in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, who is it? Uh, James Arness, who later played Matt Dillon on Gunsmoke. Uh, you might not know. I, I know you're UK, born but in 1990 in the UK. this is the <laughs> iconic uh, American 50s TV cowboy, basically. Okay. So he's the by far the biggest star in this film, but you can barely see him. You can't recognize him, mm. and I think the last scene is actually a different actor. Okay. Which is well, like half of his screen time. There are big sections where it's just a stunt guy because he's on fire and shit. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, but. Um, yeah, he was embarrassed to take the role. He didn't like doing the role. Oh, yeah. that, I think that has to do why he wasn't in several shots. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is a, an amazing footnote to a career that did go to other places mm. uh, several years later. So, um, and so then, he's he must be a pretty tall guy. Yeah, like I assume he was wearing a little he's bit a of tall like, drink of water. <laughs> <laughs> I assume he had a bit of stilts or whatever in his costume. But yeah, he was big. Yeah. Um, oh, something else we can do in this movie. We can talk about the actresses. <laughs> Yeah. Um, like, obviously, when we did the thing, like, that is a deliberate choice for a reason. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not, uh, not uh, I can't believe there's no women in this film. It's like, that's a key factor in that film. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's a big reason why this film doesn't feel the way the thing does. Enough. Yeah. Because mm. he can just, he's had a, a tense standoff with the scientist, so he can just go and speak to his girlfriend for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So there's that. Um, also, you know, we start off in Anchorage. We like like the the 1981 thing is. You never just, leave the location. Yeah, it's just completely claustrophobic. Where yeah. this one feels like it exists in the real world. You know, mm. kind of. I mean, well, the you know 1940s Hollywood system, real world at least. Yeah. 
the um, so yeah, I mean, in terms of like characters and actors, obviously I remember the captain. It's Pat, right? Pat Hendry. Yeah, and then there's and another then guy got... who looks exactly like him, and I couldn't tell them apart in several scenes. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like I was gonna say, you've got him, and then just his guys. <laughs> you, you don't need to remember any of their names or anything. They have a few gags, or whatever. Then you've got Carrington. And his guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then you've just got the Scott, the journalist, who I guess is meant to be our point of view guy. Mm. And you've got the lady friend, whose name is escaping me. Yeah, I, I was just about to say, like, except for Arnest, the other actor and uh, character names are mostly going. I don't think I actually wrote about her. Mm. Like, you could have done this 81 Things style, not had women if you wanted to. You but, know? Like, I mean, I guess it's 1950. You have a le- you're making a film, you need to have a love interest. You, you need a leading to... lady, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is fair enough, okay. That, you know, that they weren't getting much else in the terms of equality, so at least it's yeah, a leading it's, lady. It's, and... it's that better or worse treatment of women than just not having one in it. To be like, <laughs> there's one here just because the men, man needs to have, like, a prize to win. <laughs> we get that that weird, like, like milk toast BDSM scene that was weird. I yeah, I was watching this like, oh okay, they were doing this in films in the fifties, were they? <laughs> but then they don't really do anything with it. It's like, what was happening? I, I mean, mean, they they did it again later, and she tied him up a bit tighter. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he didn't escape next time. <laughs> there there was there was a movie in the background we missed here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that was for yeah, she tied him up. There there there's that forward thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, so. floats your boat. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not the damsel on the uh, railroad track sort of thing, right? So it'd be funny if the thing had attacked while he was tied to a chair. <laughs> well, you know, did they homage that scene in the junk up? That's what I'm sitting here wondering. <laughs> <laughs> They're all tied up and having their blood electrocuted. Yeah, <laughs> uh, another one I um, do. Uh, uh, another one that might be a reference. Sorry, this is this is Trek geek obscure, but I know DS Nine had the. Um, Siska, Commander Siska, or Captain Siska's officer gone rogue, whose name was Carrington, and mm. I just wondered if that was a reference to this. I don't know, it's just a name. It is was just he a, a science name. guy particularly? Hmm? Was he particularly a science guy? Well, he was, I think he was more of a rebel leader, but just in the antigo- an, you mm. know, antagonistic role. Because, you know? like, Carrington here specifically represents, like, Science and science going too far. Yeah. And we'll, we'll delve into that. We'll get into that, that later because that's a big theme of this film. That's, which, like, yeah, that's a bit of a theme. Fuck off. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, do, do, you, yeah, I guess neither of us are the man in the chair today, so we don't have the actors' names. But uh, I can pull them up, but I don't really care. Yeah, I don't care that much. <laughs> um, sorry, folks. I, I think I should at least name check on. the lady for. Yeah. Who we've just been like oh, calling the woman this whole time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that is a at least somewhat notable name. Oh, I'm sure they are, have all been in a bunch of stuff I've never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we talk about old movies, folks. I'm sure there are a lot of other stuff well, I like. Well, like we just said, this is a period where about. there wasn't much sci-fi. Yeah. And the only old films I give a shit about are sci-fi. So. I mean, this is 51. This Mar- is- oh, I, I was going to say her name was Nikki, but that didn't feel 1950s enough for me. Yeah, her name was Nikki. Okay. Margaret Sheridan played Nikki Nicholson. Okay, I know That's the name. Stanley fucking name if ever I heard one. I definitely... Nikki Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely know the actress's name, but I am not recalling off the top of my head what else she did. Yeah, I'm going to take There's a peek Probably now. lots of stuff, right? Um, <laughs> it's it, like her top one is the thing for another world, but I guess it would be these days. Yeah. Uh, give, give me the uh, Carrington actor. I, I mean, he's, I'm, on, I'm on... Oh, you're on Margaret's her. page. You're on Margaret's page, okay. Oh, calm down. I, the jury, the diamond something. Yeah. Oh, wagon train. Okay. (laughs) 
I guess we're in the uh, loads and loads of western stuff, basically, and a couple of detective things. Okay, I probably just saw her name on those like late night westerns or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you want Carrington's actor, uh, Robert Cornthwaite. Nope, that doesn't ring any bells. You got the yes. lead guy was Kenneth Toby. Mm. Toby spelled the same way Toby Maguire spells Toby. Oh, okay. So it, w- it wasn't an affectation. <laughs> yeah, James Arness is the thing. <clears throat> Douglas Spencer as Scotty. And then everyone else. Mr. Scott. Yeah. But he doesn't have a brogue or anything in this. That's so. Scotty Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess James Duhon didn't really have a brogue either though, so No. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's the guys. I feel like by talking about the actors, we've in this film we've mostly already talked about the characters. Yeah, yeah, because they're just <laughs> playing leading man, antagonist, leading woman, monster. So I cronies. guess <laughs> I guess we should get into monster on this one. Yeah. Um, um, like, obviously, as an effects film, it's not like the most mind blowingest of monsters. It's just a guy in a a bit of a mask and some claws. There's some sparks. But there are some pretty cool effects shots in this. Mm. Um, like, I quite like how we don't see, we never see the UFO, really. We just see its crash site. Right. It's already under the ice, and then they accidentally cause a chemical reaction and melt it. <laughs> um, he's already been, the monster's already been f- thrown from the ship before they find him. Right. Um, and then it's quite a while before we see the thing. So that's all done pretty well. Well, he's covered in ice, right? Yeah. I mean, we never really see the thing in the uh, later one, do we? Well, we don't know. Yeah, it doesn't have a specific one. That's like <laughs> part of the brilliance of that film. Finding the UFO is pretty tripped out. It's like some kind of like New Age commune thing. Oh, yeah, they all make a big circle and, and hold hands. Like, and... they couldn't tell it was a circle just from looking at it. They had to stand <laughs> in a circle to figure out that it was a circle. I think that's what people do around crop circles and stuff. Maybe you I know guess. more than I do on this. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, like... We had a whole bunch of scenes of a guy on fire. That's always cool to That's see, especially great. in the 1950s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you get the flame retardant suits, say the masks and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, I know, I'm, I know I'm sure it's how like they 80% do it, but it still safe. always looks great, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it is a, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a reasonably good looking film. Yeah. Electrocution yeah. at the end looked good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's not, it never looks bad in terms of like they didn't have the money to make it look good. It just looks bad in terms of this is a really boring monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you, you you mentioned the Frankenstein thing. I guess he's not quite Frankenstein's monster, right? But, no, um, but he's just tall guy, big forehead, kind of muffly face. Yeah. I mean, you can't really make out his face, which I think is kind of cool. Mm. Yeah, we don't get a lot of like shots of it, right. which is good. Now, I did kind. Of, yeah, I guess the thing, the thing that the thing, the thing. God, I'm doing it again. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, it's hard not to do. I know. <laughs> Yeah, um, this is not a shape-shifting thing, which I think right. both of us came in expecting that he was going to like turn into like other members of the well, crew. I, or I had when we watched the thing, 
I think I remember saying, like, no, I don't think the 50s one was a shapeshifter. Mm. But somehow, because it's like, it's based on this short story, it's an allegory for color cut. I was, oh, it must have a shapeshifter in it. I didn't realize I that. I believe cool. the short, the short, short story, story does, does have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I, was, I was going into this one, like, oh, I guess it does have a shapeshifter. Great. No. Sorry. <laughs> that would be <laughs> my biggest disappointment here. slasher monster. Because I'll give a lot to an old sci-fi, especially one that is well-made like this one. I'll give a, a fair amount of latitude, right? But, yeah. And, yeah, the idea of, like, a siege at, like, a North Pole base fighting a monster, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's just it's been done better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, but then what was interesting, they don't really do anything with it. I like that he's a plant. Oh, yeah, that's interesting, because, like, we got the arm, and it's like, well, he's the same all over, so. That's yeah. why, see, even... That, that, then I was thinking, oh, he is going to shapeshift. Yeah, both of us expected that we were going to start shapeshifting from there. It was nice, he really And then Carrington, the like, he starts off like, we should study it, and then he's just like, no, it doesn't matter if you left. I was like, oh, is he a thing? <laughs> like, right up till the end of the film, I was waiting for them to reveal that Carrington was a thing. That would have been cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, too bad. But yeah, I, I'm big into any sort of plant-based monster slash alien. Right. We've got to get some Triffids on the podcast soon. Okay. Problem is, I don't know what version of Triffids is good. <laughs> the book's great. There was a TV miniseries that was okay. And I think there's a film that's pretty shite. But whatever. We'll just do the film and talk about the book. Yeah. Someone tell us which one to get into if, you, if you've got... Yeah, if there's any big Triffid heads out there. Got it. But yeah, the real, the best, like, plant-based alien out there. Is, so basically, uh, the thing is Groot. Well, no, I was going to say it's Pikmin. <laughs> what? I got my Pikmin candies. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the crunkling you're hearing at the moment, folks, because yep. he's got to eat his gummies, right? Now say something. All right. Oh, okay, you can talk <laughs> with gummies in your mouth. Good job. <laughs> I can talk with a fat dick in my mouth. Watch me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this is ten years past the Universal Screen Monsters. Hmm. Eh, hell, Alvin and Costello met the mummy like two years before this, right? This so. is definitely way more in that lineage than in what I would call like sci-fi. sci-fi. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just, and even the name, The Thing from Another World, that feels like it's meant to go on a poster next to The Mummy, The Wolfman. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm just sitting here <laughs> trying to think of how the monster lineage like evolves because uh, about 55 we had the creature from the Black Lagoon, which is mm-hmm. a little more tripped out, I think. See, because I, I always think, I think of the, the Universal Monsters, then I blink, and then it's like the 70s and 80s slashes. Okay. Uh, What's uh, in between those? Is I'm, I'm kind of glad you just said that. I guess um, Hammer Horror comes in between there. Hammer Horrors, and the other one that really came to mind was um, The Outer Limits. Oh, okay. because oh, that was like monster every week, right? Yeah, right, yeah. but those monsters were not Universal Monsters, how they were, like, uh, I started in the Twilight Zone podcast, and, it's, and you kind of have to go on, am I on Team Twilight Zone or Team Outer Limits in the end? Right. So if you, if you are like, I want schlocky monster action, and fair, that's fine if you do, then that's the Outer Limits, right? Well, I feel like the reason we don't have so much of the Hammer-style monsters in 50s and 60s is because they've been usurped by giant monsters. Mm. You've got Japan's making the Godzillas, you've got, you know, like, beasts from 20,000 Fathoms and stuff. Yeah. That, that's the monsters people want to see in that period, is a giant monster. They don't care about a man-sized monster. So 1951 was just a bad place to be a monster, basically. Yeah. I mean, he's fine, all things considering, but um, it's just not particularly... I, the next, like, iconic monster I can think of after the Creature from the Black Lagoon is Alien. Hmm. Oh, man. Like, I feel in terms like of just... that size, man, man-sized hunting you down, killing you monster. Yeah. What else is there in that, like, 20-year period? Oh, that that's an on-the-spot. Yeah, I know. Well, you do that thing. to me all the time, so fuck No, you. I know, I know, I know, I know. That's cool. <laughs> um, 
But I, I'm picturing like all the monsters I can think of, and no, nothing comes out from that sort. We of did Quatermass. That had a little bit of it. Yeah, but you know they don't really like the monster. Never even like moves and fights you in that. But yeah, because even most hammer. I mean, when I think of a hammer monster, it's just, a, it's I think just of, Christopher Lee. As, as, exactly. I was about to say, I think of Christopher Lee when I really think of a hammer monster. Yeah. Um, zombies come in between. Zombies. But, yeah, I guess that's where it's at. Yeah. But yeah, I guess the monster is less of a character in those. It's like a. Mm. Well, it's a mass of yeah. uh, amorphous blob of people coming towards you for your brains. Actually, uh, I mentioned, we mentioned before the brains don't come till 85, but whatever. So this film is like 70 years old now. Yeah. When, and the other thing is 40 years old. Yeah. But that and thing is And the other is thing still, is 10 years old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, oh, I guess they make one every 30 years. I think we came to that conclusion last time. But John Carpenter's The Thing is still scary. Mm-hmm. When that film was being made, was this film still scary? I don't think this film was ever scary. Right. And one of, <laughs> when I was watching it, one of the comments underneath was like, I remember watching this as a kid, it scared the shit out of me. Hmm. So maybe it was scary in the 50s. But... Like you said, he gets to kind of go and like get tied up by his girlfriend for a while, you know? Yeah. There's like a release, which a, a proper horror does not give you that release. But I mean, most of, there's not much release once the thing is up and about. Oh, yeah, once they all have to like hole up in a generator room, of course, the tension's been ratcheted up Like that matches. is a poorly built North Pole base. If as soon as you turn the electricity off, you've got thirty minutes of heat. <laughs> Have they heard of insulation? Maybe not in 1951. <laughs> then don't build a North Pole base. Come on, someone's <laughs> got to be a pioneer. <laughs> pretty sure, like we've been building houses with insulation for centuries. I'm pretty sure they could build a North Pole base with some bloody fiberglass. I've told you about my weird occasional habit to start watching videos that people shot at, like the South Pole Station, right? No, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, sometimes I just like to look because you know people are. Usually it's people summering. It's very rare you find someone wintering and doing it, which yeah. is what you really want to see. Um, I think it's I think it's one of the British stations. Uh, still, they actually do a double feature of this and the Carpenter thing. They do this oh, one. Yeah. They always throw this one in as well. So, what's the film? This film and Carpenter's thing. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. oh, yeah, they do it at the station. Right, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So right. I thought you were talking about a film, which they... I think the American one just goes Carpenter only, but... Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe, who knows, maybe a hipster shows up some year and throws it up a bit, but... Hmm. <laughs> well, really, they should do Carpenter at one pole and this at the other, right? But... Yeah. <laughs> there aren't really North Pole stations, because there isn't any, like, solid land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you go to, like... The closest you get is like Greenland, Iceland, those sort of. Yeah, I guess that's another reason they're based to Janky. If it is that far up, it's it, it yeah. has to be temporary by nature, right? True. So yeah, um, both movies do give a lot of uh, attention to the dogs. Yeah, that <laughs> felt quite 
um, like quite a smart modern bit of filmmaking. When like the first hint we get that it's alive is the dogs going crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was That's cool. pretty cool for nine fifty one. Except that in the in the Carpenter one, the the thing fucks up the dogs, whereas here the dogs fuck up the thing. I think there was a shot of him picking up and throwing one of the dogs. Like, well, he got gnarly. his he got his hits in as well, <laughs> yeah. but he did lose his hand. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Because I was just like, oh, the thing gave them a hand. How nice of him, you know? <laughs> um, like, yeah, he he does seem destructible in this one. Whereas, yeah. you know, uh, you know, the, the, a xenomorph alien seems mildly indestructible. Right. And uh, the carpenter thing seems extremely well, you, indestructible. You, you can't even, like, nail it down to kill it, right? Yeah. You never know if you've got all of it. <laughs> Whereas yeah. this guy is, is basically like a, a a big bumbling buffoon that if you throw enough fire and electricity at it, it'll go away. I, I almost believed it was going to stop and talk to Carrington. <laughs> it was, just seemed like a dude, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, he didn't know English. He, Carrington did not have a universal translator. That's no. what he did not understand. Like, it doesn't matter what you say to an alien that doesn't speak your language. Yeah, but he, like, he was making all the body language and stuff to say, like, hey, we're your friend. And the thing's just like... Nah, bitch slap. That <laughs> means go fuck yourself an Acturian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. They really sent him flying with that slap. I thought Carrington was dead. I thought that was great. I thought he was supposed to be dead. I'm yeah. like, why is he back? <laughs> that I mean, A modern movie, he'd definitely be dead doing that, you know? Well, uh, also, one thing I've noticed, horror movies used to have a survivor, whereas they hardly ever do nowadays. Mm. Someone's at the shrine, yeah. So are you on team science or team burn the thing down? I was going to continue the thing I was saying. Don't do that. That's, that, a, that's 100% a new segment. Oh, that's what I was going to say, actually, at that point anyway. Sorry, <laughs> we had to pause because someone actually wanted to use the temple. You know, I was talking about, like, because um, I watched The Shining at the cinema with a girl a couple months back. And as, after we were talking about it, after, and she's like, oh, like, a lot of the characters survived. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's how they used to do horror films. And I, I think I prefer that. Because when you watch one where it's like you just... A modern horror film, you know everyone's dead by the end. Yeah. So it kind of ruins the tension. <laughs> because you're not like, oh, are they going to make it out? You're just like, okay, how are they going to die? That's the grand, the, the Spanish, uh, grand grunal, I can't yeah. say it right, but the, the sort of the Italian and, or Spanish, like, 70s things, uh, horror movies, which were just like blood and gore and everyone dies. But does that start with the first Friday the 13th? No, I'm thinking of the 70s here, like no, Suspria and Because that like one that. has, you think she's got away and then she gets killed. Oh, yeah. And oh, that as far as everybody dies? Yeah. Okay, as far as everybody dies, yeah, that might be the, the right yeah. place to look. Yeah, because now if you watch any kind of modern like horror film, it's like maybe you have one or two get to the end of the film and then big twist, they die as well. <laughs> and I've, I've got to the point where I just don't give a shit now. Like, <laughs> I much prefer the, like, you know, it also it makes it, Adds that little air of like, oh, I guess they got out to tell the story, so that's why you believe what happened or whatever. But yeah, otherwise, how, who, who's who's the right. observer here? So yeah, the monster. The monster's telling us the story. Maybe. Hey guys, guess what I did last week? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but this goes too far the other way because <laughs> almost nobody dies. No one <laughs> care about dies. Yeah, <laughs> a couple lackeys. Yeah, like were they even named before we saw them dead? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that's where I'm like, at least, yeah, I was like, Carrington's dead. Oh, well, he's not. Okay. Yeah. Just... Like, he's the antagonist. Like, they couldn't even kill him off. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah. <laughs> that, that's where I was trying to get to you, though. Is it Team Science or Team Burn the Monster Down in this film? For... Oh. See, in life, I would say Team Science, right? Right. <laughs> but this film, 
rams that metaphor so hard down your throat, you have no choice but to be team the military. Because <laughs> science's argument is we should let everyone here die because we want to study this thing. <laughs> okay. That would be like if the modern debate wasn't like, oh, do I trust the scientists in their vaccine? It would be like, no, scientists just think we should let the virus wipe out all life on Earth because the virus is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we can shoot at it with our guns. Right. <laughs> But it makes sense in a film which was made six years after the atomic bombs were dropped mm. that science goes too far was like a, the metaphor that you might want to lean into, right? Okay. No, just because, you, you know, podcasts and such, you're supposed to have to, that question, are we on team science? And you're just like, of course we are. And here it's like, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, they take it. It's this, this film, the makers were definitely not on team science. <laughs> <laughs> So something weird happened when we did our podcast on the 1981 thing. Which was? Like a week after we recorded, Among Us became the biggest social phenomenon on Earth. <laughs> so we put up a podcast about the thing just as it was at its height and didn't mention it. Yeah. Are you aware of Among Us? Um, it shows up in my my um, my appy, like you should download this app thing. And, okay. And it looked... Mildly entertained, but uh, I, I've actually I, I've slid down the not being a gamer slope quite a bit in the past two years. So well, this is well. a game that you it's only fun if you play basically if you play it with your friends. Yeah, um, I'm, so I'm there a was a brief gamer. period when it was at its height where I had like a nice group of friends and we would all hop on our phone or our switch and play it and have like voice chat and stuff. And basically, everyone plays as an astronaut on a space station. And they've added more maps now, one of which is an Arctic base. So. Um, <laughs> And the game comes up, and on your screen it tells you either, for like, five of the eight players, it will just say, you're a crewmate. Mm. For the other three it says, you're an imposter. <laughs> so the crewmates have to try and complete a bunch of objectives around the spaceship to survive or whatever, while the imposter bumps them off. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can call a meeting, and then everyone talks about who they think the imposter is and shunt someone out an airlock. Ah, but there's three... Uh, it, it's like a different ratio on how many players you have or whatever. Okay. So sometimes it can just be one of you. Sometimes there'll be like a team of you. Oh, if you want to do a thing, it's got to be one, right? Well, the thing there's one, but it spreads. Ah. But yeah, no. Um, but yeah, it really captures the... Obviously, after you've been playing it for a couple of weeks, it just becomes a game, right? Mm -hmm. and, but the first few times you're playing it and you're like... Especially if you're the imposter and you're good at just lying to everyone else's face that you're not the imposter <laughs> as you're killing them one by one. <laughs> and we all had these great moments of like, you're dead, so you're not allowed to join in the conversation. But you're listening to the guy who's just murdered you convince everyone that they're innocent. <laughs> and it's like, fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> so it was really good while it lasted, yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought it was worth shouting that out. Okay. We do our thing podcasts. Games that teach you about deceit and deception and disappointment. Those it are teaches the... you who of your friends is good at that shit. <laughs> and then a couple who are just not. <laughs> they'll just like, they'll kill someone right in front of three other people and be like, no, no, I didn't. Uh, it was him. 
Well, I, I think uh, short, shortly when you when we first met, we had that trip where I was just egregiously cheating at that card game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it right. went on to like 20 minutes with nobody noticing, though. Um, yeah, our friend Joe would have been a monster among us <laughs> because he can just tell you anything with a straight face <laughs> and he delights in fucking with you so. yeah. <laughs> whereas I'm if I've had like a single sip of beer I get the opposite of a poker face <laughs> but every hand of cards I'm just like <laughs> <laughs> okay well we know what Luke's got <laughs> see I used to get smashed and play poker so I think I don't I don't know if my poker face was good or not but <laughs> I'm just a giggly boy okay <laughs> like there's multiple examples on podcasts where I've gotten in my head something funny to say, and then I can't get it out because I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you haven't really listened to our Monster Hunter one. At the end of every episode, we tell the listeners to tweet something at Andy. And one time, I made something like some mildly rude joke about whatever, about Joe Biden's dick or something. <laughs> and then uh, Andy was like, oh, that's not that outrageous for you. So for the whole following week, I was thinking, right, what am I going to say? <laughs> and then we get to the next episode, and I'm like, okay, listeners, I want you to bend over in a park and put breadcrumbs up your ass and take a picture of pigeons up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't get it out, and I'm just pissing myself <laughs> laughing trying to say So it. you didn't get the photos. We, ne- we, we almost never get the thing we ask for people to tweet. <laughs> Apart from occasionally when we actually ask for something sincere, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm listening, I like it. Uh, okay. So no, no, one, no one's going to deal with your tomfoolery is the basic point. But listeners, do tweet at AndyMan949 <laughs> how big you think Joe Biden's dick is. <laughs> um, how about this film? How big is its dick? How does it hold up? Uh, no, this film has, like, massive, like, small dick energy. <laughs> what is small dick energy? Like, it's fronting too hard, right? It's trying too hard. <laughs> Everyone here is, like, chisel-jawed, military uniform... Trying to play the badass. Yeah. Like they've all got tiny, tiny peens. Mm. <laughs> I mean, they especially do at the North Pole with the generator. Yeah. <laughs> Shrinky dink. <laughs> How about the thing? Oh, the thing exudes big dick energy. Okay. <laughs> Although we know for a fact it doesn't have a dick because it's just a tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a log. Yeah. <laughs> Captain's log. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, we got that. Yeah, I mean, like I said, watching it's weird just... The thing that, the thing, god damn it, I did it again, <laughs> that really, just the fact that it feels so much like a 40s movie, but it's sci-fi, just like, I, I, just that blows my mind, it just like disconnected in my brain watching it. I guess I just, I haven't seen anywhere near as many 40s movies as you, <laughs> like, I don't really watch a lot of film noir and, like, western stuff, so. Yeah. To Although, me it was just like, oh, this is just competently made, but not blowing me away. Westerns are, are, are for the 30s, though. Mm. Or silent if you're into hard liquor. Okay. <laughs> Hollywood silent films. I mean, yeah, I mean, when I think westerns, or... though, I'm thinking like um, Eastwood. So I'm thinking like way later. Oh, yeah, you're going way later. I mean, yeah. the westerns at this time, uh, we're, we're getting, you know, it's like the John Ford, like, right. prime time, right? So it's sort of westerns. Those are a different kind of film. And definitely not like this kind of film. Um, it I is... guess, yeah, I'm only really familiar with westerns from the color era. Yeah. It's like, I guess this was a big film when it came out, but it That's seems really small now. That's the thing really I wanted to say, now. right? The injustice of that this film came out and was a big success and it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas the thing came out and was lambasted and like derailed John Carpenter's career and ruined his life. And it's a masterpiece. That's because Howard Hawks wanted to make some fucking cash. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, success. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's not shit. That's an exaggeration. No, I know. But it's, just, it's nothing that special. Yeah. Whereas The Thing is a huge game changer and like a massive influence on horror. And like everyone hated it when it came out. I mean, the reason people watch this movie is because they watch Carpenter's Thing. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is like, this has come up a couple times, but I think this is the biggest example of like, this is redundant because the remake exists. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only other thing I, I mentioned a little bit in my notes as well is doing the Twilight Zone podcast. I didn't just catch a bit of that proto energy here, you know, like that because the, the some of the real successors to that were the uh, 30s and 40s, like radio dramas of you mm. know creepy stories. And this seems like one of the first iterations of one of those radio dramas really kind of showing up on the, screen. The first character is left to guard the thing. Is talking about like, oh, I guess I list, I'll read a horror story. <laughs> so like, definitely that is like what the makers were into. And, so that uh, makes sense. And the ele- the electric blanket move is definitely like a dumbass move yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for someone in that kind of a uh, drama or zone or whatever. Well, also, like, we don't see a lot of action. No. Mostly it's people talking about things. Most of this could have been done as an audio drama. Yeah. Oh, that's something else I want to shout out. Um, our listeners should listen to The White Vault. What is that? It's a horror audio drama podcast. Okay. But it's about, like, a North Pole station. Oh, right, okay. And I, I always listen to it. I, I save up the episodes and listen to it when it's snowy <laughs> so I can get, like, the experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the final season is being downloaded as we speak, but I haven't listened yet. But but when that, you know, when this came out, that was how you really got your sci-fi, mm. well, especially your sci-fi, not, your horror to a certain extent as well. I, I think, I feel like the 40s had enough horror, you know? But, but uh, also, I think, like, especially back then, if you really wanted to be scared by your horror, you had to go books and radio and stuff because films just weren't, films were pulling their punches, right? We talked about this film, like, not really killing anyone. Yeah, and not really giving you a monster. It honestly yeah. looks like an accountant who's, uh, you know, gotten beat up some. <laughs> <laughs> it, like, you could, you could definitely take an angle of remaking this film where you're meant to be sympathetic to the monster. Yeah. Because he's just, like, stranded in this base with all these weirdos trying to escape or whatever, and he's having a pretty rough time of it. Sure, he kills some dudes, but he doesn't understand. <laughs> Well, I mean, come on, let's put it in our, uh, in, in, you know, where we have the, the human ending up on an alien planet and maybe yeah. having to take out a couple motherfuckers, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if it's a human, now now they're the hero. Now it's John Carter, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, like, if you'd made this film and, like, the first thing it does is kill a dog because it needs the blood. <laughs> and then it only, like, kills a human because they start attacking it and stuff. You could definitely make a version where you're meant to be way more sympathetic to the yeah. monster. Can you be sympathetic to a monster that turns into a giant chest cavity you cannot be sympathetic machine. to John Carpenter as monster there is that short story which apparently won awards which is written from its point of view that's what I was thinking of yeah, yeah. you have to you have to be good at um, taking things objectively for that like, it's not easy to make that sort of thing sympathetic anything else you want to say about this thing I mean it's online it's free it is an interesting insight into like a period where there wasn't a lot of sci-fi so check it out Although, but if you're if at this you, point of our like, podcast and you didn't watch, you probably don't need to know. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm going to say, like, if you've got, like, a hankering for the thing, just rewatch the Carpenter one. You don't need to watch this one. <laughs> tell us about our... Tell them, not me. Tell us. Tell, tell us. Plug to us. Plug ourselves to us. I'll plug yourself. Um, <laughs> you can find this podcast on Twitter at MLSFSPod. We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Just search Matt and Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. Uh, if you want to help support this podcast and keep it online, you can go to patreon.com slash podcastio podcastius. And at that same address, 
You can find links to all of me and Matt's other podcasts where we talk about Pokemon, we talk about Monster Hunter, we talk about um, The Twilight Zone, we talk about weird educational films, whatever else we fancy talking about. If you want to hear our voices, if you want to chuckle at our great banter, then you can go to that website again, patreon.com slash podcastio podcastius. And if you give us a dollar a month, maybe you can listen to episodes early, but at this point in time, we're not putting anything behind any paywall. Like, you can still listen to everything. What if... The, the thing, the monster in this movie had been in, like, one of those big, like, costume suits you get at, like, Disneyland. Would that have been, like, a giant Mickey Mouse? If it was, like, a real early days Disney costume, that actually would have been way more terrifying. Yeah, that would have been cool. Like, have you ever seen pictures of, like, 1930s Disney Halloween costumes? Yeah, those, those like... dead-eyed mice and stuff? Yeah! Well, I mean, that's basically that's Five Nights at Freddy's, right? And that's terrifying children everywhere now. Yeah, so, we'll, yeah. We'll, I'll play that behind a paywall and picture. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, that was a plan I was plugging early in the podcast, but it turns out that guy who makes those games is, like, a huge doucher. Oh, so I guess you'll have to find that. another one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, I didn't know anything about Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah. No, I, I will find a horror game with jump scares in it to terrify Matt with. It just won't be that one. Five Nights with the Thing. <laughs> the Man Thing. You know Man Giant Thing. Giant-sized Man Thing. That, that Swamp Thing, but in a different company. Oh, yeah. Giant-sized. No, really? Yes. Oh, that ruins that joke I've been making for 20 years.
Beyond their informants, Boundless Digitalis been reawakening the word behind sound. People rising free from encrypted data streams. And nothing ever was as it before seemed. Within the herd, the lost implants creep, and 13 tentacles of the cabal to infiltrate. Submerged in the gloom of the reptilian room, three queens be still imprisoned in their lake and womb. Apocalyptic horses of revelation behold, upon the checkerboard crypt stealthily unfold, as Kundalini dragons fly up along the axon, will now throw off and down this Babylon. Awaken to move beyond the range, from limited confines of perceptions short change. Find the one thing that is truly real, kingdoms within truth and love reveal.